Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Okay, here we are, and it is a Communion Sunday. And one subtle change that we have made to Communion Sundays is that the sermon is a little bit shorter, okay? But in some concrete, specific way, it ties directly into communion. So we've shortened the sermon just a little bit so we can, we can really lean into communion. We don't want to be the Lord's Supper to be something that's like, okay, it's fourth Sunday. Well, let's, you know, we got to do it, but where we really get full benefit from it. So in a minute, I'm going to invite you to, to join me in Acts 20, verses 7 through 12, where Luke tells us about a very strange communion. But before we do that, I will pray, and then we will, uh, I'll give you a little backstory and we'll, we'll dive in. So let's pray together. God, right now, we lift up the Word of God. We have lifted up the name of Jesus. And today, we we do the same with the Word of God, and we place ourselves underneath the Word. And we do not worship the Bible as a relic, but God, we worship the one whose Word it is. And so, Father, we want your Word over us, directing us, lighting our way, lighting our eyes, changing who we are fundamentally. God, we don't want to get in some kind of of just gerbil wheel cycle of coming and going and hearing and walking out the door. Lord, we want to be changed. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and you would do what only you can do and make this word live in us. We give you our, our minds, our ears, our eyes, everything, Lord, everything that makes us who we are. And we just say, Lord, we're yours. Work on us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you were here last week uh, for Acts 19, uh, the, the sermon pretty much ended with the riot in Ephesus dying down. So the riot has, has just calmed down. God has just moved miraculously, calmed everybody down. And now, Paul in Acts 20, it is time for him to leave Ephesus. Now, we read that and we go, hold on, that's a bit strange, Paul, because you just got to Ephesus. I mean, last week, you know, it's a week ago to us. One chapter ago in the Bible, uh, chapter 19, verse 8, Paul just got there, and here we are at chapter 20, not even a chapter of the Bible, chapter 20, verse 1, and he's saying farewell. But the thing is this, for Paul, it's actually been three years. He's been there now for 36 months, so we don't have to worry, you know, hey, Paul never had time to unpack, you know, Paul, Paul's mail hasn't even caught up with him. It has. He's been there three years. But here's the thing. Before Paul leaves, and he does this everywhere he visits, before he leaves, he gathers the church together, all the Ephesian Christians, and Luke says that he encourages them. Now, we hear the word encouragement, and we think of, you know, good old-fashioned American encouragement, you know? You walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. Keep digging in there. You know, you can do it, champ. You know, that's not what Paul is doing. Paul's actually doing something quite different. And in Greek, the word is parakleo. And here's what parakleo means. It means to urge or to boost or to inspire someone with much word. Okay? So, a whole lot of scripture. And when you think about Paul, that's what he's always doing. You know, Paul is always pouring the word of God all over folks. 
He is doing his best to get this living word into people because Paul is operating under a fundamental belief system, and the belief system is this word of God is going to change people's lives. The Word of God, when we hear it, meditate on it, you know, when we ingest it in a sense, it bears a whole lot of fruit in our lives. We get stronger in Christ, we grow in Christ, we mature in Christ. And so Paul does this before he leaves Ephesus. He encourages them like this. And then he and the disciples reenact, you know, the, the, the staircase scene in Sound of Music. You know, so long, farewell. So they, they say goodbye to everybody, and they've got a plan, all right? They're not just getting out of Ephesus and wandering. They have a ministry plan. Um, they will first visit Macedonia. Then they're going to go to Greece, and then they will go to Syria. And way down the line, Paul is going to go to Jerusalem. But that, that, that does come quite a while later. And what they'll do is this ministry team, together with him, they will go to these places, and they'll do exactly what he just did in, in Ephesus. They are going to have encouragement meetings. Much, much, much word. And so Paul and the guys set out. And the first leg in Macedonia, it goes well. You know, they get the folks together, they preach, they teach, they hold some ministry training, very successful. But then they go to Greece, and it's even more successful. Now, they do the same thing, but Luke writes in, in, uh, uh, in chapter 20 here that they ended up sticking around Greece for quite a while. They end up there for three months, an entire season, right? And, and I love this, okay? I, I did some backstory back reading this, this week, and commentators have all these theories about why, Luke, uh, uh, why Paul and the disciples were in Greece for so long. You know, well, it was because of this reason, or we speculate that it was because of that. I think they're wrong. All, all their guesses, I think they are just wild, ridiculous theories, all right? Number one, they weren't there, so they can't possibly know why they extended their stay. But I think every one of us in the room knows why they were in Greece for three months. It is not rocket science, all right? It's intuitive. We just know that we know why they were in Greece for three months. It's obviously the food, okay? Nobody barrels through Greece. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, you know, spanakopita, souvlaki, moussaka, baklava, feta cheese, pita, kebabs. Nobody races through Greece. That's exactly why they stayed, okay? So, so they stick around, and, and they do honestly have a really great run in ministry. And then they leave Greece, and it's time now to go to Syria. But Syria never happens because of big trouble. Paul gets word that some Jews there are plotting for his life. And the sense from the context of Scripture is they are laying in wait. You know, they're they're just hiding to pounce as he makes his way in. And so Paul has the team, I believe for safety's sake, he has them break up and, and, and they take different routes. And Paul says, look, we will meet in Troas. A word about Troas, okay? Troas is kind of like where I live right now. Um, it's, it's a lot like Suffolk, Virginia. Suffolk, Virginia is not a real big deal unless you're from Suffolk or you live in Suffolk. Um, folks, 
in the outside world don't pay a whole lot of attention to what goes on in Suffolk. You know, we just don't end up in the national news that much, you know. We are not the heartbeat of the nation. Uh, Historians have, have not had a whole lot to say about Suffolk. In other words, Suffolk is, it, it really is one of those places that you pass through to get somewhere else for most people. And that is the feeling of Troas. And, and that seems to be Paul's idea when it comes to Troas. Hey, we'll meet there. We'll stick around for a week. You know, we'll replenish, we'll refresh, we'll restore whatever, you know, needs, needs filling up here. And then we're going to take off. So for Paul, uh, Troas, I almost said Suffolk. For Paul, Troas is like a highway rest stop. Pull in, pull out, nothing's going to happen there. Or will it? Verses 20, uh, uh, chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, Luke is writing, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking till midnight. The upstairs room where we met was lighted with many flickering lamps. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. Paul went down, bent over him, took him into his arms. Don't worry, he said. He's alive. And then they all went back upstairs and shared in the Lord's Supper and ate together. Paul continued to talk to them until dawn. Then he left. Meanwhile, the young man was taken home, alive and well, and everyone was greatly relieved. So this is why I gave you the backstory. Okay, you you kind of understand the dynamic here. In Troas, Paul decides, look, even though we're only here a week, we need to have an encouragement meeting with these, these Troas believers. We need to give them much word. And so, so he calls them together, and he is going to preach to them, and he does preach to them, but he's going to do it in the context of the Lord's Supper. And, um, you know, for them, just so you know, for the Troas Christians, this would have been a gigantic deal. So, like, if you're wondering, how in the world does anybody come and listen to some guy preach for eight hours? It's because it's Paul. You know, for us, this would be like going back, you know, 30 years to a younger Billy Graham coming to your church. Big deal, right? Bill Johnson coming to your church on a Sunday. Tim Keller, or insert your favorite preacher here. I mean, th- this is a gigantic deal for, the, for these Christians in Troas. What's he doing here? This is the Apostle Paul. He founded the church. I mean, everybody's going, you know, I mean, so, so this place is, is pretty full. And so, so what they do is they assemble And they assemble, and this is curious, in the early evening, it says, and we wonder why. Why in the world would they wait so long with such a big deal in town? And here's why. Because many of the Christians in Troas, they were one of two things. They were either day laborers or they were uh, servants in local homes. And some of you go, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 pastor just made an error. That can't be true because this is, Luke said, the first day of the week. This is the worship day. But you've got to remember something. This is Troas. It's not Israel. There are no Sabbath restrictions in Troas. Nobody can work on the Sabbath. So, so Paul works with what he's got. 
And so here these believers are at evening, after a day of really hard work, they come filing in, and they settle down in a room filled with flickering, oily, smoking lamps. And everything is quiet except for the sound of Paul's voice preaching. And you can imagine what happens, not just because I set the mood, but just because we just read what happened. Eyes begin to flutter, okay? If you need a living example, it's kind of like Mark Santum in our weekly staff meeting, okay? You know, right after lunch, it's, it's the same thing. See, you got it, you got it, you got it. You're with me now. So, <laughs> love you, pastor. All right, um, but so, so, so you have that dynamic, and we also have to factor in, Luke is telling us that this is the case because he, he says in verse seven again, Paul preached, until midnight. So when exactly does evening start? Well, if you want to say six o'clock, he just preached six hours. If you want to say eight o'clock, he just preached four hours. And, and if we go, no, 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 that's not the case. Look at verse nine. Paul preached on and Paul preached on. Wake up. See, it, it, you get the feeling. I mean, I'm getting sleepy up here thinking about this. So in, in the midst of this, a young man named Eutychus, okay? And you, you can't make this one up. Eutychus, whose name in Greek means fortunate, okay? His name means fortunate in Greek. There is no other way to translate it. Um, Eutychus, who is, and I love this, he's sitting in a windowsill in this third-story building, I can't even keep my balance here, he's sitting in the windowsill. He's probably up there because the fresh night air will keep him awake. Mr. Fortunate here, Eutychus, falls asleep, deep into sleep, so deep into sleep that he falls out the window. And when I say falls out the window, I don't mean falls the right way out of the window into the room where there's a floor right here. He falls out of the window and he plummets three stories to his death below on the outside. And some of these same uh, commentators who are speculating about, oh, here's what happened in Greece, some of them speculate and say, well, you know what? Eutychus actually did not die. Okay, he was just knocked out. But I want us to remember who wrote the book of Acts. Who wrote it? Luke. What did Luke do for a living? Okay, so the odds right now are higher than the dental toothpaste commercials, you know? Nine out of ten uh, uh, dentists recommend Crest. Ten out of ten doctors all know the difference between someone who's alive and someone who's dead. This boy is dead. And I want you to imagine the kind of effect that that had on the worship service. You know, one time I was a, I was a youth pastor in Indian, Indiana, Greenwood, Indiana, just outside of Indianapolis. And on the Saturday before church, we had this huge children's event. And so kids were everywhere. And the, the children's pastor decided to have a whole bunch of helium balloons. And you know what happens when you get little children and helium balloons together? The, the helium balloons, ah, you know, they love to play hide and seek on the kids. You know, they loosen their grip. So they lose a bunch of balloons the night before. And our maintenance staff, I don't know if Will is in the room, our maintenance staff literally spent 
uh, like from, from 8 o'clock when this thing ended to like 2 in the morning with BB guns shooting <laughs> these helium balloons. But one of the balloons, one of the balloons was a master of hide and seek, okay? There was a rafter much like this one right in the middle of the church. It just wandered up there and hid behind the beam. And so the next morning, we get in there for church. We do our sound checks and all this stuff. The service starts going, and this balloon, which is now about, uh, it's about halfway out of helium, Right? it decides to wander out and come pay the congregation a visit. And so every air draft coming from the air conditioner, this balloon is just riding through the congregation. And, and our pastor was, he was really controlling, okay? So he was irate. I was having the time of my life. We've been, at one point, we bent down to pray. Everybody bent down. And this balloon came, it floated down and went, bink, and popped off one person's head and took right back off. It was fantastic. And the point of that long-winded rabbit trail is that this was incredibly distracting in this service. Compare it, compare it to this. A kid falls out of a window in the middle of somebody preaching. It must have been chaos. Women screaming, everybody racing for the stairs. Nuts! Until in verse 10, when the apostle Paul walks out into the street, and he scoops this kid up. And if you think, this reminds me of Elijah, just like Elijah. In 1 Kings 17, he, pulls, he picks the boy up, holds him close to his chest, and, and, and as a prayer, and I believe a prophetic, I believe this was a prophetic moment of healing. He goes, don't worry, he is not uh, uh, he's not dead, he's alive. And then they go back in, take communion, and Paul preaches until dawn. And everybody who was at that service had a communion story for the ages. I mean, think about it. You know, guys around the water cooler, I got a, I got a communion story that will put hair on your chest. And all the women run away. You know, it's just it's this great, great, great story. And there are a few times in Scripture where we look at a passage or we, or we get a narrative, right, from Scripture, and we really puzzle over how in the world do we apply it. This is one of those times. You know, you just, the book of Acts, uh, 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 the book of Acts chapter 20, 17 through 12, it actually does not call for any specific action step. And so I read this and I was like, man, great story, but where do we go with it? And, 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 and now we could stretch it, and this happens sometimes when you preach, you know, we could kind of make something up and, and say, you know, kids, this, this is actually why we don't let you sit on the balcony railing during a worship service. Because Pastor Steve might preach you to sleep, and then it's just, it's splat, you know? It's not going to work. Or, or we could speculate about some, some sin in this kid's life. You know, rumor has it that young, young Eutychus, he was, he was really prideful and conceited. And you know what the Word of God says? It says in Proverbs, pride comes, right? Before fall, you know, we do all that stuff. Uh, thank you. Hey, I'll be here all week. Try the veal. It's great. All right. So, but, but here's, what, here's what I think we do. Instead of inventing an action step, I say we simply go with what Luke gives us here. What have these people come together to celebrate? Communion, the Lord's Supper. They have come together to remember that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, suffered a tragic death for every one of them. That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for them, and that by believing in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected for us, 
we live. I believe that's what this narrative is all about. In other words, Eutychus, what is his story about? He's just simply a living example of the resurrection. That's what he is. In the same way that the man born blind, you remember with Jesus, the man born blind, what is he a living example of? God's power to heal. The demoniac by the, by the lake of the garrisons. What, 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 what is he a living example of? God's power to deliver us from evil. I simply believe that Eutychus is here to show us there is no death that Christ cannot overcome in our lives. You know, it may, maybe it's mental. You know, maybe we suffer from from something that feels like a mental death or an emotional, a spiritual, a relational, a physical death. Folks, look to Eutychus. Look to Eutychus. Look at the power of God to raise a young man from physical death. Look at it. That is communion in a nutshell. This is what communion is all about. So here's, here's what I want us to do. As we prepare to take communion together in a few minutes, I want to stop and I want to ask you in a circle, right? I want to ask myself, what are places in our lives that are just not very spiritually alive? And you know what? We all got them. I know when I was a kid, I used to think, man, the preacher's the most holy thing in the world. Man, I know too many preachers. I look at one preacher every day in the mirror too often. I'm telling you, we all got dead spots. What are places in our lives where there is spiritual death, where there is some real separation between us and God, where, you know, we're walking this path of righteousness and holiness and worship to God, and there is something in the way, and it's keeping us from reaching the Lord. What are sources of death in your life? I'll list a few if if, if it would help. Things like anger, offense. Here's a big one, fear. The enemy's number one or two weapon, fear. How about selfishness? Being really quick to judge other people. For some of us, it's self-hatred. For some of us, it's others' hatred, you know, we, that, that we have that going on. Um, things like gossip, addiction, worry. And as you think about that for just a minute, take heart in this. Jesus' body was broken, and his blood was poured out on the cross to cleanse us, to bring us to life. The cross is not God looking at you and going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The cross is God with arms wide open just saying, come to me, all you who are weary, all you who who, who are plagued by sin. Let me turn what is dark and ugly. Let me turn it white with the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me do that. Jesus Christ was raised to glorious life so that we would live. We would live free. We would live full, and even though this might scare you, we would live so filled to overflowing with the joy of the Holy Spirit that a bunch of scary Muslims come up to us and go, man, would you pray? Can I have a little bit of what you got, Norman Debbie? That's it. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite all of us, okay, and and I'm a part of this. I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm preaching to me too. I want us to just take a moment and be still. And let the Holy Spirit show you, let him show you if there's something in the way. 
Let him show you if there's something dark and deadly in your spirit, in your life. I will tell you this. Some of you will look at me and go, you know what, Steve? I don't even need the Holy Spirit's help because I am fully aware of where I fall short. But let's just be still for a moment. And just let the Lord bring that up. And, and all we have to do in this moment is just acknowledge it. Lord, here it is. I just, I just confess it. I just say it to you, Lord God. Offer it up to God. And then I'll pray in a minute, and we will receive God's forgiveness. We will receive his cleansing. And just get to live all over again at a whole new level. So let's just be still. And, and here's why we're doing this, by the way. The, the, the Word of God tells us, Paul tells us, that before we approach the communion table, that we Christians, we ought to take a moment to examine ourselves. We ought not to do this in in an unworthy manner. So this is our way of just stopping. So let's do that for just a moment. God, you're so good. Your heart is so big. Your love, it just doesn't end. And I know a lot of us, Lord, we, we like to put labels on sin and categorize them, but God, they're all deadly. And you know, we all fall into that camp. We go to that campground and we camp out in a lot of different ways. Father, everything that we have offered up to you, just in a moment of confession, lots of different things, we just let them go. I referenced helium balloons a minute ago. Lord, we just let them go. With the cross just facing us on stage, we we just let those go to the cross this morning. God, though we ask for forgiveness quite often, we just receive it today. We thank you for forgiveness. It's our gift. Oh, we just, Lord, we love the forgiveness that we get from you. And I thank you right now that if I could see a little better in the spirit this morning, I would just see dazzling white all over the congregation, regardless of when the last time is we think we were guilty of that. Because the the, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And I thank you for the purity, the beautiful purity of your body. People who maybe just wandered in here today and said, oh, wow, this Jesus, and I'm just going to receive it with everybody else. Thank you for washing us clean. And Lord, as, as Neil comes up now, we just thank you for communion. God, what a privilege as the church to be able to go to the empty tomb together. I love the way you did this for us. So Lord, make this a meaningful communion. We just lean into it with all that we are, thankful and hungry for your righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.